0: this is a Studio 809 podcast. Engage. I'll go ahead and open us up here, the podcast where we help each other find our way in this crazy world with a particular focus on the Pikes Peak region.
1: Yeah, and we're coming to you from the Fantastic new Studio 809 Community Podcast Studio at The Next Us, a professional cooperative environment for small businesses in downtown Colorado Springs. I am Dave Gardner, and with me is the uh, aspiring Inquisitor herself, Judy Pering.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Dave. And uh, today we're going to be setting the stage for 2024. Looking forward. But first, maybe we should reflect on where we went on the last episode.
1: Do you have any thoughts about that?
0: Um, You know, it's interesting because we've just kind of gone through a bit of a holiday shuffle in the season and the end of the year. And so we were talking last episode about civility, we were talking about respect, and tensions run high at the end of the year. Tensions run high when there's, you know, all kinds of different pressures coming from any angle. Uh, Maybe it's work, maybe it's family, maybe it's, you know, other things. Um, But there's like a hustle and bustle, kind of a particular theme of hustle and bustle through December. And you have to ask yourself in those moments, you know, are we still able to maintain respect? Are we still able to be civil? And I know we're going to talk a little bit, hopefully today, about traffic and congestion and things like that. But one thing that really kind of sticks out to me is I saw a lot of car accidents these last few weeks. And it's like everyone is in such a rush and and they're not looking around them and they're not aware and so i feel like you know we just got started talking about respect and i feel like that's gonna be uh, a very heavy theme uh, moving forward and it's going to tie into everything we talk about as well today
1: yeah and maybe we can uh um our best to find some great rays of sunshine, some examples of people behaving beautifully in this world, because it's going to be easy to come up with examples where I think we let ourselves down and treat each other disrespectfully. It seems like those are just too easy and too abundant. But the world's full of pretty neat examples of people doing amazing things.
0: I love this. Okay. We have
1: that capability. And I think my theme, I don't know, for this decade in my life, I think, is that uh, I feel like we have have uh, stopped expecting very much of ourselves and that we're capable of more. We just don't expect ourselves to be as good as we used to expect. So it's time to expect more.
0: Yes, we've got to reach for it. Absolutely.
1: My reflection on the last episode is I really enjoyed hearing you introduce us to the next us. And you did it in a you know a really poetic fashion. And I just think you're incredibly talented in that department.
0: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to showing a little bit more of it at the end of this episode today. Good. But hopefully kind of too in the light of what you're saying as far as the glimmer of hope. And that's really what I would also like to focus on. And so that's what I will be kind of reaching for and focusing on in the poem at the end of this episode is just the idea that um, so many of us are reaching forward and are reaching upward. And there's this mindfulness theme that's been kind of underlying and trending for years now And as I say here at The Next Us, we are rooted in health, wellness, and fitness. And these are the things that I want to really focus on, kind of what do we control? What can we do to look forward? And, you know, not necessarily always focusing on the problems, but uh, sometimes just reaching for solutions.
1: You talked about how everyone seemed like they were in a rush. And, you know, to be mindful, I think you have to slow down Mm -hmm. or you will want to slow down. And that reminds me of the most meaningful book I ever read. Hmm. in my entire life. And it was called Time Shifting. And it appealed to me because I felt like I needed time management skills because I just couldn't get everything done in a day. But the book was about, no, you don't really need better ways to organize your time so you can get more accomplished. What we would benefit from is a different mindset as we go through life where we aren't always in a hurry to finish something or get the next thing done. But we just stop and smell the roses.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
1: it was pretty neat. I can't recommend that highly enough. I don't think you need to read it, but if, <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> I suspect. I, I mean, I, I, f- I feel like I do. I feel like as soon as you said it, I feel like I knew that I needed to read it.
1: If I don't have it on loan, I'll be glad to loan it out. It's really my most treasured book, and it's, what, 30 years old. But... Cool. Okay, we should move Love along.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay, so what's going on?
1: Well, if we zoom out globally, some things that are going on right now, but I think there's some themes that'll probably pop up time and again during the course of 2024. One is climate. Uh, that just seems to be a hot subject.
0: It is.
1: And of course, uh, as we sit here and record this episode on December, what, 27th? Correct. Of 2023. COP28 just uh, ended not too long ago, mm-hmm. a week ago or so, and the big news was 190. Eight nations that sat at the table. What have they agreed to do about climate change? And of course, that's on top of the fact that 2023 was the hottest year in 125,000 years. Whoa. Yeah. And uh, scientists are pretty sure 2024 is going to be another hot mama. And uh, so we're going to be talking about it more than we normally would, which is good because it needs to be top of mind.
0: What were the outcomes with the, the new agreement as far as these, all these nations? What's, what are they going to aim for?
1: Well, they're going to continue to aim for net zero emissions in 2050, which most scientists have been for quite some time telling us that's uh, really too little too late. It's not ambitious enough. And all of the recent evidence about tipping points where the ill effects of the warming climate are happening faster than they expected. So that's a Too little, too late.
0: But what does it take to get to net zero emissions?
1: As far as I can tell from everything I'm reading about, it seems that everyone is betting that we're going to have some great technology that we don't have today, but we will have before 2050. So we don't have to inconvenience ourselves too much today. Uh, We're not willing to. and, And one of the main things is economic growth. We're not willing to give up economic growth in order to do something about meeting the carbon emissions goals as quickly as the commitments require. Mm-hmm. So we we keep making these commitments, but they're empty promises. And so a few people said, well, we made some progress this time because now our language in the UAE agreement, as they're calling it. First of all, apparently this is the first agreement that even mentions fossil fuels.
0: What? Oh, wow.
1: You know, because you have to get a consensus. So if, if one or two of the 198 nations, you know, say, no, we can't mm-hmm. have that language, then that language doesn't end up in there. And, of course, there are some petro-states, just like the United Arab Emirates, where COP28 was being held, where their wealth is tied up in selling oil to the rest of the world. And, in fact, their plans are to increase the amount of oil that they pull out of the ground. So that's kind of the landscape that we're working against. And so a lot of people didn't expect much just because of the location of COP28 and that the president of this conference was the leader of the United Arab Emirates. So he has a big conflict of interest. He seems to be more interested in pumping oil and making money than having a bright future for our kids. And that's because people have a hard time really fully appreciating just how tough life can be if we don't get this right. Wow. There is hope, but there's also this dismal dystopian future that threatens us if we don't take the most hopeful path. And so um, the politics in coming up with that language, you know, didn't serve us really, really well. So we didn't get language about phasing out fossil fuels. We got language about phasing down.
0: Okay. Well, and one of the things that I'm kind of thinking in my mind when I hear this net zero is that they're trying to counter, right? So they're trying to grow more forests, right? In order to make up for the cost, uh, you know, or the use of...
1: To make up for the fact that they don't want to stop pumping oil and burning oil. Right. So
0: is that kind of the approach? Is like a compensation approach?
1: Yes, and the forest is a good solution. It's pretty tried and true. But I think most of the scientists who are doing the calculations and the scenarios are telling them that that's not enough, that we need carbon capture and storage. We need technology also to be pulling carbon out of the atmosphere in order to make up for the fact that we aren't willing to just stop burning fossil fuels today. And that technology is being it's being worked on. It sort of exists, but it's uh, not, not economical at all, and it has a lot of potential drawbacks. There are some people who many people that I trust a lot who just say there's no way we should count on that there's wow. there's too much risk wow for one thing is if we you know if we capture it and we store it in a non-permanent way it's it's almost like trying to find storage for the rods from nuclear power plants you know we haven't figured that out yet right. you know uh, so now we have to figure out how to store carbon dioxide we've pulled out of the atmosphere and make sure that we don't sometime in the future have some accidental release.
0: So it's a question of how can we convert it?
1: Can we convert it? Can we afford to convert it? Can we do it in a way that doesn't have some kind of a potential drawback? So the critics say this is you know, just more incrementalism when it's really clear right now that we need to be moving a foot, not an inch. And for 30 years, we've been moving an inch mm. a year when we needed to be moving a foot a year. So it's getting harder. And no nations are really meeting the commitments that they made in the Paris Accord in 2015, even.
0: So it's a lot of hot air. Yeah,
1: probably. Yeah. But it's being talked about, you know, 2023 was a good year for putting it front of mind because I think there was more and more reporting on it you know you almost didn't get a weather forecast without some mention of global warming or, or the climate crisis just because we had such extreme weather events this year and you know a year or two ago it was too controversial to attribute weather events to the warming climate now I guess that controversies faded, and I think we'll see more of that this year. We'll hear a lot more about it.
0: As it actually affects us.
1: Yeah. What they say is that El Nino, which is a temporary current pattern in mm-hmm. the ocean, mm-hmm. when we have El Nino, it tends to warm things up. Right. And it's not always going to be there, but because we've got everything else in in a warmer pattern than we ever have in human history, and El Nino just bumps it that much more. And so some people think that bumped us above this one and a half degree Celsius target that we've been trying to stay below. And I want to say it's 1.5 degrees Celsius. That's almost three degrees Fahrenheit. That's a big bump, and there is concern that if we exceed that and stay above that for very long, that it will make this planet really... Tough to live on. And right now that's just temporary. And they think in two thousand twenty four we'll probably be above this two point seven degrees Fahrenheit average temperature on the planet. But it will drop back down when El Nino goes away. Subsides yeah. and La Niña yeah. comes in. Yeah. But when you're on this steadily increasing warming ramp, aberrations, you know, will take you into more and more dangerous territory. So we're not in a good place if all it takes is an El Nino to kick us over that milestone. We'll permanently be over that milestone two thousand thirty or soon after probably from what I've read. Okay. So it's not gonna be pretty. Then the next thing is to hope that we'll stay below two degrees Celsius and increase over pre industrial temperatures, which is almost four degrees Fahrenheit. You know, that's what's recent news, and that's what'll be talked about a lot, I think, this year, coming this year. next year. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, we've got uh, wars, Gaza and uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Those two, I think those two things are going to stay in the headlines this year.
0: For this next coming year.
1: Yeah. I don't know how much we'll talk about those. I don't know if we will have any brilliant light to shed on those subjects.
0: It's hard for me to nail down the real positions, you know, with Israel and Gaza. There are, you know, people who are saying that this is something new, that these conflicts are, are just in the past 10 years. And then, you know, it seems a little more clear to me that this has been going on <laughs> A long through time. history, yeah. through history, and you know, I feel like the biggest opinion I heard, and I, I kind of want to just run this by you and see what you have to think about it, um, is that Gaza, you know, and the um, the Hamas mm-hmm. are hiding intentionally behind civilians and infiltrating spaces so that Israel's targeting civilians to get to the Hamas. um, And they're positioning themselves that way to make Israel look bad and lose support.
1: I don't think there's any doubt about that. At the same time, you know, I would be really reluctant to try to unpack what kind of blame to assign to Israel for the way it's conducting this war. You know, there's a lot of growing sentiment uh, against Israel for the massive human casualties. They wouldn't be happening if Hamas wasn't hiding behind the civilians, but does that necessarily give Israel a, a, a pass? Isn't there some other way, some other response, you know? Right. And... Uh, there's a lot of arguments mm-hmm. going on out there about, you know, who, who's at fault for what. I bet you there's enough blame to go around. Obviously, they've been trying to solve this issue, this or fight not. over the land. Yeah, <laughs> Or not. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For a long time.
0: The hardest thing for me, and this is also, can I would, I would say, can carry over into... Um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and also tied in deeply to respect, um, is what we were talking about last episode. I feel like, and I think I, I think I said this last episode that that most of these issues through history are rooted in fear and insecurity, mm-hmm. and this you know grounded in this idea of possession, and it's just so difficult to think that in approaching the year 2024 with all of the advancements we have, that there are still these leaders in real positions of power playing games with real lives at such a fundamentally barbaric state. Yeah. You know, how is it possible... That we are not able to have, um, you know, global commerce in, in a way that supports every nation for the riches that each land has and formulate pathways of or structures for society to operate in a way that can facilitate a hierarchy Based in respect and, and an abundance mentality, you know, um, kind of that, that throwback to the analogy I made about the ants, you know, how can we operate smoothly and, and all be taken care of? It has to be possible.
1: What's the saying? That bus has left the barn, the horse has left the barn? Oh, okay, uh, okay. This kind of plays right into the, the themes behind my Growth Busters documentary and the Growth Busters uh, podcast that I co-host where we've grown the human enterprise so big on the planet, 8 billion of us on the planet, to where scarcity has become more of a reality than abundance. The more of us there are, the harder it is for us to trust our neighbors and to not fear that we're not going to get our share of the water or of the food. And it would be so much easier if we had stopped 100 years ago at 2 billion people on the planet. It would be easy to have that vision that you have. I I don't know if it's possible at 8 billion people for us to get along because it's going to be scrapping over resources like crazy. Well, I
0: think that's interesting because... If you also look at the increase of disparity, mm-hmm. I would argue that it's just malproportioned. I would argue that there there is an opportunity for us to reach for the abundance mentality to pair technology and agriculture, to you know pair these different kind of um, forces that would allow for Us to be, you know, all happy, healthy, and hardworking in the different tiers that you know. There's, there's got to be a way to work it out. There's, especially with AI at the level that it is now. There's got to be an algorithm, you know, that that we could ask AI about or something. And I know there's movies out there where like AI is like, I'm going to (laughs) solve the world for you, and um, you know, takes over, and then robots happen. You know, I understand kind of, you know, all the different. Trajectories out there, but it's just, it's just, it blows my mind um, how the main conflicts are still over religion, still over land. We should have moved past this with just the base of respect. With what we know in this day and age, and it 's just so hard to wrap my head around it because I, f- I feel like there are so many people in the world that that feel this way we 're just not the people in the positions of power
1: well it 's a noble ideal, but you know it is a and here I am talking about expecting more of ourselves, expecting the best but that is a really super heavy lift. We would have to all behave perfectly, and so far we're not indicating we're willing to do that. You know, the richest people in the world would need to be willing to live more simply, to give room on the planet for the poorest people in the world, just to use a quick label, to have their needs better met, to to live better lives. You're right that there's this huge inequity that needs to be adjusted. But the math looks like if we really all just used our fair share, everybody on the planet would need to be living about like the average Vietnamese family. Not a terrible life, but I think you talk about that to most Americans or Europeans or Australians or uh, some of the richest people in the Middle East. Uh, They're not going to think that sounds like a good life. I mean, there is a lot of resistance to that. We would have to get that perfect. And maybe you're thinking technology would allow us all to live a better standard of living than that.
0: I think it's a matter of, for technology, just to bring about efficiency. Because a lot of times the numbers of, when you look at of, of waste uh, that that's happening, mm-hmm. I I just... I just feel like there's got to be a way where you know even beyond you know what you know I mean that's interesting, I'd like to see kind of more or learn more about the research behind saying the you know the typical Vietnamese family kind of idea, but ideally there's I believe there's some research around the number around three hundred people in a community creates some kind of ideal structure and hierarchy. I don't know if you've heard this or you know if you don't know. Yeah,
1: I think two, I've heard 200. Two, but yeah, between 200 and 300, yeah. a
0: small scale, and then, you know, you look at where we're at. And so we're trying to operate on these massive scales. Yeah, There's got to be a way to just rethink the structure of it. And I know the hardest part about any of it, like you said, is that the people in position of power are not interested at all in this conversation. And that's the question, where's the real workaround?
1: Yeah, that requires some real long-term thinking. Related to that, you were talking about all the traffic accidents, Mm -hmm. and here we are just in Colorado Springs, or let's say in the metro area here where we're at about 750,000 people, a far greater number than 300 people. And what I've observed is when we get in bigger cities, we feel more anonymous Mm -hmm. and we're less inclined to behave. I know I drive a little bit more cautiously up the street to my house sure. (laughs) because I know my neighbors are the ones in the cars behind me that are going to notice if I'm speeding. I try really hard not to speed anywhere because I'm really trying hard to reduce the amount of fuel that I burn and reduce my carbon emissions. Uh, For every 10 miles an hour faster you drive you lose about 5 or 6 or 7 miles per gallon. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you have to drive a car and burn fossil fuels slow and steady is a better way to do it. So I try to do it everywhere. But I do find that uh, even myself, especially in my youth, I lived in Dallas, Texas. Oh, okay. I mean, huge. Lots of people on the freeways. And I was as guilty as anyone of driving way too fast and way too aggressively. You feel like you have to because there are so many more challenges in the way of you getting where you need to Mm -hmm. go at the time you need to get there. You have to cover more miles. You have more vehicles competing for space. And there are so many people there that you feel very anonymous. So you're less likely to just let peer influence help you to behave yourself. Sure, a
0: sense of accountability. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. What you said reminded me about that. But you're right, the leaders are thinking short term because they're they're on an election cycle and it would be a rare leader that really is willing to risk political capital in order to put us on a path that will serve us well over the long haul.
0: Hmm, interesting. And
1: we're not gonna get instant gratification from doing what we need to do. But you're right about waste and efficiency. You would think efficiency would be important to us, but it's interesting. There's this phenomenon called Jevons Paradox, and and we've pretty well demonstrated that that's applying most of the time, that whenever we get more efficient at something, instead of using less, it gets cheaper, so we use more. Oh, geez. So we have to somehow get in touch with our better angels Mm -hmm. and not do that. We have to resist that temptation just because it costs less doesn't mean we should use more. And my last comment about technology is uh, the Green Revolution, great technological solution that kept us from having real massive starvation last century as our population was really exploding. But it turns out that industrialized agriculture is one of the chief causes oh, of the climate geez. crisis and ocean dead zones and fertile soil depletion. That solution turned out to have a lot of unintended consequences, unfortunately. So I trust technology less. Sure, I would rather see us slow down and let our numbers contract to a level where reaching that ideal would be easier, I think, if we could do that and fall out of love with economic growth. Mm-hmm. You know, just the fact that we, right now we want more next year than we had this year. We need to be buying more cars. We need to be spending more money over the holidays, taking more flights, building more airplanes. That's what GDP growth is all about. And if you look at the curves, GDP and carbon emissions follow the same track. Total correlation. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well, that kind of, as far as the question of leadership, um, leads us into the next topic of the U.S. presidential race.
1: Yeah, that's going to be on the, on the headlines.
0: That'll be coming up a lot in 2024. It's yeah. going to be...
1: No one's looking forward to that, I don't think.
0: I have kind of an, an interesting question, I think, about it. and And my question is, how much of a difference does the presidential position really make? How much... Versus how all the powers behind kind of the the face of the president that are going to continue to operate, whether it's one president or another president. I just wonder how much the system really works or whether it's more a distraction and kind of a circus to keep the masses distracted while the real positions of power are going to continue operating as they do, yeah, regardless. Uh, yeah.
1: There are a number of smart people who think that, that it's pretty much business as usual, whether there's a Democrat in the White House or a Republican in the White House. There's some minor variations, but pretty much the big money, the, the big corporations are really pulling the strings, and it's hard to break that hold. So there's some problems in the system. Mm -hmm. Some people are trying to fix those, but they're not making very much progress. Getting money out of politics and rank choice voting so that we're not stuck with this two-party choices. It'd be nice if we had more choices. Might be able to elect better people. As you know, I am actually running for president. And it's because I think even if the powers that be Try to limit you. That there is some uh, power of the bully pulpit. You know, the president of the United States can hold a news conference, and that is going to get covered. And so, if we elected a transformative leader who was really committed to changing that system and fixing that system, and who wasn't beholding to that system, there might be some hope. You know, that we could see real change. So that's what I would hope to deliver if we had this astonishing upset and Dave Gardner got elected president. <laughs> we'll talk about that from time yeah. to time, but I don't want I don't want that to dominate the conversation. But I'm running because I don't think any of the other candidates have a real f- solid grasp of how dramatically we need to change things if we do want our kids to live in, in a decent world, have a shot at a decent life, even halfway close to the ideal that that vision that you have. Hmm. I'm worried that we might have a really dark future, but I am hopeful that I think our only hope is that we really get off this horse that we're on right now. Or let's steal a too often used metaphor that we turn the rudder on the Titanic.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
1: You know, we can't just slow down a little bit. We can't just change course a degree or two. It's not going to be enough.
0: Okay.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so maybe we'll talk about the presidential election from time to time.
0: So it really is looking like it's between Trump and Biden.
1: That's certainly looking that way. There's got to be some huge surprise for it not to be. Uh, And nobody wants it to be between Trump and Biden. Everybody would prefer it was two completely different people. Pretty weird.
0: It is, you know, and I think that's why I'm such a skeptic about this kind of thing, because, you know, I studied psychology and the, the first step in control Um, is by providing two options (laughs) and making people feel as if they have a choice, as if they are in power, when the reality is that you have provided the two options.
1: Did you study behavioral economics? Because that sounds like something right out of behavioral (laughs) economics. That's great.
0: It's just so clear. Oh, we're a free country. We have this freedom to vote. We have this freedom of choice. And it's like, well, okay, but. Who decided these choices? And how is it that we're so trapped between A and B?
1: I hate to say it, but can't argue with you. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I feel like the hope that I see in this moment, and this is, I've been saying this for um, decades now, and, and I say it about my oldest daughter that I just keep saying that they will be the shift as the different minds change and as the different generations are sculpted, that there's got to be... I mean, what? I don't know if you heard about this hacker that just came on and um, took over some video game company, Grand Theft yeah. Auto or something, with a TV remote or something in <laughs> a TV, like three things. And he just brought this company to its knees momentarily. You know, what I mean, whatever. But it's, it's something like that that gives me hope that to say that this next generation is going to find something that's going to create a whole new way about it. You know, yeah. that will just pull the structure from the inside out.
1: Yeah. My hope is that we are approaching some kind of a tipping point where mm-hmm. it doesn't look like we're getting where we need to go, but mm-hmm. there's going to be some surprise. And uh, I think you're right to have a lot of faith in the coming generations, uh, because one, the system isn't working very well for them. It's not looking like a rosy future for anyone who's just getting out of high school or college today.
0: Right. Well, and they're all so more and more mixed up. I mean, and, and this is hopefully not just the United States, but the previous generations, we came from one background or two backgrounds. We had one culture. We had one religion. We had one, you know, and now it's just such a salad bowl that I think that these deeply rooted ties to land and religion are going to have to phase out because we are not and the next generations are not caught up in the same issues. Hmm. And, and so that's kind of where I hope you know, things will change, because you can't look at the youth these days and tell where they're from.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and so that, will I think, might be part of that, that paradigm shift, but I just worry, too, because the people who are in positions of power are, are breeding the next positions of power. So is it still just that you know, the masses remain... You know, even as we do change, it's kind of a hard question. Wow. Well,
1: thanks for uh, bringing some uh, (laughs) independent thinking to the table. Yeah. Uh, What are we going to do? Holy moly.
0: We're running out of
1: time. Yeah. Should we say we're going to have a part two?
0: Well, let's press pause then and call it for a part two.
1: Yeah. So if you're listening, you know, in this part one, we've (laughs) deprived you of the zoom in where we'll talk about what's going to be on the table uh, more locally. And of course, gosh, you're going to have to definitely come back for part two, which we'll try to get to quickly so that you can get some words of wisdom from Judy.
0: All right, let's call it for part one and press pause.
1: All right. So stick with us. This thing's evolving. Maybe it will evolve constantly and come on this journey with us and find out on the next us.
0: Absolutely. All
1: right. I think that's it. We'll see you next time.
0: Okay, perfect. In the Pikes Peak Region, there's no shortage of activities. Whether you're experiencing breathtaking parks or magnificent works of art, if you're getting fashionable at a film festival, or fresh at a farmer's market, if you want to hear the sweet sounds of a symphony or the smooth shred of a Stratocaster, look no further than Peak Radar, your one-stop shop for all events in the Pikes Peak Region. Your free source for viewing and posting events. So no matter how you engage with our beautiful region, visit peakradar.com and get plugged into the Peak.